Welcome to None Dare Call It Ordinary, the podcast that digs into the unusual, unorthodox, and downright unsettling beliefs found at the depths of the internet and the heights of paranoia. I'm your host, Forrest, and with me is the Jesuitical Brent and Jesuitocratic Dylan. (laughs) Damn, that's a slam if you listen to our bonus episode. Jesus. Yeah, that is is an insult. And I really... If I was going to be a true Catholic, instead of calling the fake Catholic church the Novus Ordo Church, I would now, especially with Pope Francis, call it the uh, Jesuitocratic Church. It's just (laughs) a Jesuitocracy over there. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And if you all want to learn more about Jesuitocracy, then you should check out (laughs) our last bonus episode. You can do that by becoming a $5 a month patron at patreon.com forward slash none dare call ordinary. And speaking of Patreon, we have two new patrons, Daniel Biancoli and Craig C. Rennie. So awesome. And thank you very much. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you guys. Thank you very, very, very much. All your support makes this a lot easier for us to get more content out, the content that you know and love. Exactly. And then uh, I just want to also shout out, we do have a fan-run Facebook group called Followers of the Ordinarium. It's run by Shay O'Sullivan. We don't really do too much social media ourselves, but if you want to partake in any social media related to the show, please go visit that page. And so what is it we're talking about today, Forrest? <laughs> well, we're going to be continuing my odyssey into madness and mayhem with At the Mushrooms of Madness Part 3. And in Part 2, where we had last left off, I had successfully refused to obey the will of a demonic fungus, was reduced to a fraction of consciousness, Tried out different forest bodies to find out which one suited me best. <laughs> saw a vision of the afterlife in black and white, low definition. Oh, that's a shame. Went on ex- obsessive compulsive sleepwalking excursions to find eggs and released a whole lot of bodily fluids. This culminates with me waking to the sound of voices and music which don't exist. And the question we were left with was, will I drive myself to see a psychiatrist <laughs> or will I get a ride? Exactly. Cause that is really the theme, really the theme of this series. Yeah. <laughs> it should just be called if drive. You're going to boil down the core of it is you need designated drivers. I think that's really the end point of this whole thing. So September 20th, 2019, luckily for everyone, I got a ride. Woo-hoo. So good. So well, good. Well, don't, yeah. wait, 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 don't, no, no need to clap. It's not like I had a choice here. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah. First of all, I barely felt alive. So not not in really a driving state of mind. Right. I woke up. I mean, up it hasn't thick, really yeah. stopped you though so far. <laughs> this time I'm stopped. I woke up in a thick yellowish puddle of oil on my pillow, which Jeez. is nice. On the ground, there's countless tissues and strings of spit and half-empty bottles, kombucha, and Gatorade. As I mentioned, I was hearing voices, which sounded like the background chatter in a restaurant. And I was also hallucinating classical music. Now, I was fully aware that these were hallucinations, but after the experience of psychically commuting with different fungi in my microbiome battling for possession of my soul, I figured that's just too fucking crazy to be real, and I must very well be schizophrenic or have some other psychotic illness and fungal infection or not, I better do the right thing and commit myself because I'm just a ticking time bomb until the next psychotic episode. And this is when I text you guys, I'm going to the psychiatric ward. Yeah. One of the scariest nights of my life. Oh, yeah. So first, I neglected to mention in the last episode two somewhat important pieces of the story. One, at one point in the night, I had intense anxiety about that bag containing the yellow blob I had thrown up. 
I just did not want this thing in the house, so I threw it in the trash can in the garage. And two, the piece of paper where I wrote all that insane shit, you know, the one where the fungus told me I was supposed to stick it up my ass for my future self to discover. Yeah, you know, that one. That's the one I'm talking about. I tore that to pieces. In fact, upon awakening, I even checked the trash can I threw it into to make sure the pieces were there. After all, going to a psychiatric institution was part of the plan of the evil fungi. And so, you know, I want to make sure I didn't find that in the toilet later because I don't think I would have been able to handle that, frankly. you know. I mean, I, this seems really silly to me. It's going to be much harder to shove up your ass now that it's in a bunch of you know pieces. <laughs> it's going to hurt a lot more. I, no, 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 I no, no. You just is. have to use buckwheat honey. Wad it up disgusting. into a buckwheat honey Sorry. slash note ball. All right. And also, my short term memory was at zero. It was as if I had something approximating Alzheimer's, though my long-term memory seemed to be working perfectly fine. I'd walk around in confusion and hear my stepfather yell at me, hey, where are you going? And I would think, yeah, where am I going? I remember that on the car ride over, I would also go to reach into my backpack to get something, but then forget what I was meaning to get. And even seeing the objects in the backpack wouldn't act as a clue to what my intention was. And then the next time I'd reach for my backpack, I'd find that my backpack was gone and I'd place it somewhere else, even in places like my lap, and I had no memory of placing it there, and it would just appear there as if by magic. So I could barely walk or think, let alone drive. On the way over, my mom unloads on me, and even though I'm feeling I'm holding on to my sanity by a thread, I really wasn't upset. First off, my brain just isn't working enough to even react. Secondly, she was supposed to go on vacation today, and I was supposed to babysit her cats and dog, and now she's possibly got to cancel her vacation plans. And third, after the stuff I subjected her to the night before, I can only imagine what I would be thinking if I saw the same behavior from someone else. So you cannot blame her. And to put my mind state into perspective, let's put it this way. I had a kidney stone at this time, something I would learn later, and the pain barely registered. Wow. Damn. And, I, and I've had a kidney stone and it hurts. Yeah, I can't imagine. And also, I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to be babysitting those cats because you're really you're a health hazard to them since you're producing mushrooms yes. that if they were to swallow, yep. Yep. it would be yep. toxic. Yes. For all the listeners, listen to part two. If you want to know about all the mushrooms popping out of my body and poisoning my mom's cats. Yeah, that was the true part. Of <laughs> that, the that was the true episode. part. That was the thing that truly happened. Was not a hallucination. So by the time we get to the psychiatric institution, which is a very long drive, I'm feeling a tiny bit more mentally competent. I actually remember all I had learned from our series about anti-psychiatry on this very podcast, and I decide I am here to get my mental health under control, and I'm going to cooperate no matter what. I don't give a fuck what my phenomenological experience is or my paranoid thoughts are. I'm simply going to obey the mental health professionals and recover as quickly as possible. You're no libertarian then. I know. My mother and I arrive, and I tell the front counter, I wish to voluntarily commit myself. They give me a questionnaire to fill out. After filling it out, a security guard takes my mom and I to a room. He takes away my backpack, and if I remember correctly, I think he even checked me for weapons. Apparently, when filling out the questionnaire, one of the questions was something like, do you believe you may harm yourself or others? I had marked yes, and so they were taking security precautions. Yeah, that makes sense. I was taken to another room and evaluated by a mental health professional. She questioned me about why I had marked this question with yes. And I started just breaking down and saying, I don't want to hurt anyone. And I don't want to hurt myself, but I've had psychosis and I'm sleepwalking and I'm worried that I might lose control of myself and do something horrible outside my will. I'm haunted by a story I once read about an otherwise gentle and harmless man that killed his mother-in-law while sleepwalking. And I'm starting to obsess over the thought that the same thing could happen to me. 
This is what's known as harm OCD. So as I'm crying, I find my tear ducts are clogged. So no tears can come out, which just makes me want to cry even more. And this reminds me of the fungus and its possible connection to my dry mouth and lack of mucus. I tell the psychiatrist that I think I might have a fungal infection and it might be the reason behind the psychosis. She asks why I think that. I point to my wounds on my arms from being poked with the needles at the hospital, telling her they looked infected. She told me they looked fine. I looked at them myself and nearly jumped. I was so startled. She was right. They look fine, healing perfectly. And at that point, I'm very nearly convinced that I don't have a fungal illness and that this is all pure delusion. I tell her I think I might be becoming schizophrenic. By the end of the evaluation, I'm not diagnosed with any particular mental disorder. And my mother and I are told that I have to first be evaluated at the medical hospital before I can be committed. So it's off to my second hospitalization. Woohoo! You are just racking these up. So yeah. the portion of the hospital I was taken to was a fucking madhouse. It was your rogues gallery of the most unpleasant patients you've ever seen. In fact, despite that I'm losing my mind, I quickly become the favorite patient to the woman who takes my blood because I'm pretty much the only one not trying to assault her when she does so. In fact, I find that just by cooperating with basic tasks, you get major points with the staff. The bar here is so low that even at my lowest, I'm the MVP. But they don't know that you're um, willing to listen to a fungus, perhaps, and they're all just, you know, cogs to be swept aside in order to accomplish the life-saving mission of Aubrey de Grey. That's what they don't <laughs> know. They can be swept away in a second, if need be. After getting my blood drawn... I lay on a dirty bed surrounded by a mountain of derelicts waiting for the next step. I'm told my sodium was dangerously low and I would need to be put on an IV immediately. So once again, I'm hospitalized for low sodium. But not just that, a cursory look at my medical records lists the following. Kidney stone, hyperglycemia, hyponartremia, constipation, dehydration, altered mental status, hypertension. So wonderful. So you're good to go. I'm good to go. Mm. Good combo. It's, I'm very lucky that the psychiatric institution sent me here first. I'm taken into the next room. The doctor wants to help me sleep, so he intravenously shoots me up with Benadryl. But this doesn't help me sleep. In fact, it just makes me feel even more like shit. I try to drift off to sleep, and it seems like I'm coming close given the hypnagogic imagery that starts appearing, but then I snap right back to wakefulness again. And of course, the hypnagogic imagery is again in black and white and stick figure-like, so my imagination is just fucked so much for wanting to make movies. Oh, I know. Man. I'm pumped full of sodium. And as this happens, I start to feel dehydrated, really dehydrated. My mouth and mucous membranes are so dry at this point that it feels like I'm in a salt mine and breathing through a coffee straw. I beg the staff for water, but they tell me they can't give me any because drinking water with my sodium levels this low is very dangerous. Once again, I feel like I'm going to die. I start crying, no tears come out, and just scream and scream for water. I'm ignored for a long time. Eventually, a nurse gives me a little cup just to shut me up. I drink it. So, yeah, it. no longer the MVP. No, of no, the no, hospital, no longer. No longer. I drink it, and sure enough, it doesn't help, and I simply feel even worse. I'm reduced to the mentality of an infant and want nothing more than to see my mother again. I keep hoping I'll see her, but she never shows up. I'm just in hell. I'm wheeled to my room. I can barely breathe. I can barely think. Again, I accept death and say to myself, whatever happens, happens. At that point, I absolutely just give up the will to live or just the will to even will anything. I close my eyes and I wake up. 
damn, Brent, I owe you 10 bucks. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so, yes, I woke up to saliva flow and actually felt surprisingly good. This is September 21st, 2019. I had slept for a long time and was entirely rested. My doctor comes in and questions me. I told him the same thing happened just a few days ago and it was assumed it was from drinking too much water. He told me to get my sodium levels this low, I would have to drink gallons and gallons of water. I told him I went into a sauna and I drank quite a lot of Gatorade, but not gallons and gallons and certainly not gallons and gallons of plain water. He just shrugs and says my sodium levels are going up just fine now and that his work is almost complete. Your case doesn't make any fucking sense at all. <laughs> eh, whatever, you're doing fine. <laughs> <See> you <laughs> my sodium levels were so severely low. They were at 120 milliequivalents per liter. To give context of just how dangerously close I was to permanent brain damage or even death, take this from the journal American Family Physician. Severe symptomatic hyponartremia occurs when sodium levels decrease over less than 24 hours. Severe symptoms, e.g. coma seizures, typically occur when the sodium levels fall below 120 milliequivalents per liter, but can occur at less than 125. Severe symptomatic hyponartremia must be corrected promptly because it can lead to cerebral edemia, irreversible neurological damage, respiratory arrest, brain stem herniation, and death. Okay, okay, so this is all from the Thanks. American family physician? Yeah. Oh, boy. Okay, well, what does the American shrugging physician have to say about this? That's really, that's really I, the source I, I trust yeah. and really want to hear from. I don't believe the American just... shrugging physician is a peer-reviewed journal, so I decided oh, not to I take it. I decided not to quote Just it. Just every a, page is a picture of a shrugging doctor. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, like, well, you know stroke. Like, what are you, you going to do? My father comes to visit me. I didn't have the best relationship with my dad around this time in my life, and I hadn't seen him in perhaps an entire year. But after hearing I was hospitalized, he just became Superman. He took off work and would visit me over the next few days in the hospital before taking me to his home to nurse me back to health. But before I could be discharged to stay with my dad, I was to stay in the mental ward of the hospital. After all, I was sent here upon orders of a psychiatric institution, and they had their own mental health professional there that was to evaluate me. I shared my room with a caricature. He's strapped to his chair, laughing maniacally, grunting, playing his phone and television at unbearably high volume. So as you can imagine, I didn't get much rest in this room. Yikes. That night, I was visited by a mental health professional. We had a great conversation, have a few good laughs, and she's impressed I even know what the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders is. But she asks me if I smoke weed, and I tell her I don't. She says, that's bullshit, because they found THC in my blood. Then you're arrested. Oh, man. I figure it must be the Dome of Vape Pen. I wonder if the THC contributed to the madness. She tells me she thinks I'm not dangerous at all, and I'm going to be discharged, but I should set up an outpatient appointment with a mental health facility. I tell her I will, and that was that. That night, though, just as I thought maybe the fungal infection was sheer delusion, I drift into an almost dreamlike state in which I feel I know exactly where the fungus is. I can feel it in my throat, in my chest, on my hard and soft palates, and then the back of my head. I can almost visualize my immune system and microbiome battling it, but the good guys are just overwhelmed. They need reinforcements. The popping sensation begins again, this time moving from the bottom of my nose to my forehead. This seems to release mucus and help with saliva flow. At one point in the night, I feel as if something burrows into my right eye and there's a shadow I can see on my retina. I try to control myself from freaking out and just try to relax and I eventually fall asleep, only to be woken minutes later to get my vitals checked. 
I basically tell them to fuck off and I go back to sleep. <laughs> Good for you. The guy just opens up my curtains. Okay, time to get your vitals checked. And I just yell at him. I'm like, I need some sleep. Go away. I'm discharged and my dad picks me up to stay with him and my stepmother for a while. And I just want to just to add their- here is that so you were in the psych ward for about three days, if I'm not mistaken, yep. or this whole thing was for three days. And so we, Brent and I had we no idea where mode. you were. Yep. Yeah, we you know, no yeah, my phone was dead. My phone was yeah, dead. Yeah, the phone was dead. Like he had no way to that charge it. And so we were just trying to figure out. I was at the point where I was like, I'm just going to have to call every hospital in Las Vegas because we had no idea which one you were at. And so it was good timing. You got, you got discharged at the right time. It was it was brutal. It was brutal. Oh, yeah. yeah we were contacting everybody that's ever known you to try and get a hold. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I, I was on it when you when this all happened, I was on a plane leaving to go to California for a work uh, assignment thing. So I was just right. What are the fucking odds of this happening right now? Well, I mean, another thing too, was that because I was, could be a possible danger. They uh, wouldn't let me have my backpack or my phone. That was just locked. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we figured. So I'm discharged and my dad picks me up to stay with him and my stepmother for a while. Before going to his apartment, I ask him if we can stop at the store where I can pick up prebiotic foods, notably including bananas. It was during these nights at my father's that I began to recognize what I came to call the feeding. It would usually happen late at night. My mouth would dry up to almost zero saliva flow. And whatever saliva there was left would be just foaming and foul tasting. And my temperature would drop to near 97 degrees and my heart rate would slow down. With my pulse in my arms feeling non-existent, and yet my pulse very strongly felt in my abdomen. I'd feel those low electrolyte draining feelings I'd become accustomed to. It was also during this time that I learned that drinking water only made things worse. So even though my instinct was to drink water, by refraining to do so, I seemed to bounce back quicker from these feeding episodes. I would also come to learn that by eating a banana during these times, it seemed to help. Why that is, I have no clue. I also came to learn that my gastric system was really fucked up. Whenever I tried to burp, it was somehow stifled and blocked. It felt again as if structures, as it were, covered up the canals for which the, from which the gas was trying to escape. Over time, I would learn that at this juncture in my life, acidic foods and beverages were my friend. In my past, I had terrible acid reflux, but now I found I had the opposite problem. Along with my Flonase use, I came to find another likely culprit, my use of antacids every day for countless months to battle the acid reflux. I decided I'm not going to obsessively worry about stomach acid anymore. It seems my body is trying to expel something, but just can't, and I've been suppressing it. In fact, I slowly became aware of just how much I was suppressing my immune system with health anxiety. I had this revelation at the end of the first bout of psychosis, but only now was I beginning to see just how much of a factor health anxiety was in hurting my immunity. By constantly checking my body, I'm actively suppressing my immune system. When you focus on bodily functions, you actually put other functions on pause so you can listen, Hmm. as it were. And the more you obsessively listen, the less your body can work automatically. The obsessing creates stress. The stress causes lack of sleep and lack of rest and lack of sleep and lack of rest causes more problems to the body and which I must now listen to and monitor. So it's just a self-feeding spiral into madness. And that's different than the feeding. So there's two feedings going on. Fungus is feeding and your mind is feeding on your feet. My mind's feeding on itself. And yes, and there's something feeding on my blood. It, It feels like. Man. In an email to myself written on September 23rd, things to remember, I find I've written the following. Number one, manage mental health with professional aid. Two, 
focus on getting wealth and a f- stable financial position and put filmmaking ambitions aside for now to be revived later. Three, mantra. I cannot control my immune system and automatic bodily functions. I can only reflexively react to them. Voluntarily speaking, I can only aid them at best. And this actually became, did become my, my mantra going through this thing by telling myself this over and over again. I, this may be help more than anything else, believe it or not. That's a pretty complicated mantra. You know, do <laughs> unto others as you would do unto yourself. Like, that's nice and simple. <laughs> this mantra, very different. I, I kind of shortened it to just don't try to control my immune system, something like that. Keep checking behaviors in check. Every terminal illness I believed I had was a delusion. Why am I certain this time? Just because something feels certain is not enough to say it is certain. Moderation imbalances everything. Whatever happens, happens and let it be. Nobody can predict the future, but the future usually is brighter than you imagine. Psychosis is only an inch away when you abandon reason. I don't have cable TV, but my father does. So I've got to be subjected to it while I'm staying there. And it seemed like every commercial was either for fast food or pharmaceuticals. The two food groups. It struck me at the time as the most hideous and horrifying thing I've ever seen. I was seeing McDonald's and Burger King as humanity's arch enemies. (laughs) I I felt in the deepest core of my being that this shit was ultimately just as bad as cigarettes. That one day we will look down on our ancestors in shame for taking their children to eat this garbage. Another thing was I saw Donald Trump's press conference after his UN speech. And for the first time ever, I felt empathy for Donald Trump. I recognize that this man is seriously mentally ill, that his malignant narcissism was so out of control that it was just beyond shocking that we as a society could treat it as normal. And I wish someone would intervene and help him. I didn't want to hate Trump anymore. I just wanted him to get help and fast for our sake and his. At one point, my father takes me to Veggie House for lunch, which is this great vegan restaurant in Chinatown that makes fake meat dishes that taste just like the real thing. I get this intuition that I should try a certain vegetable dish there when reading the ingredients, but listed among those ingredients was fungus. Literally just the word fungus. (laughs) Chef Kenny, come on. (laughs) That turns me off, so I order something else. This something else was orange chicken, which gave me very bad gastrointestinal distress. Oh, good. Later on in the week, my father and stepmother wanted to go gambling at a casino, and I decided to tag along. They wanted to eat at a buffet, but something told me I needed to have another go of Veggie House. So I begged them that we go there. When we arrive, I ordered miso soup, which I'd been craving and and haven't eaten for years due to soy sensitivity, and the veggie dish with the dreaded fungus ingredient. (laughs) Oh, great. When the food arrived, it struck me as eerily similar to the image of the prebiotic foods the good fungus demanded that I ate. I placed it in my mouth, and upon touching my tongue, it was as if a hand reached out of my throat and pulled it down. The sensation was that whatever I was eating was something my body desperately needed. Yeah, the opposite of the pill. When we got to the casino, I decided that while they had their fun, I would go watch a movie. When I looked at the lineup of movies, I told myself I was going to avoid stress as much as possible, so I resolved to see the most boring, milk-toast, actionless, <laughs> inoffensive, and bland movie possible. And as luck would have it, such a movie was playing, Downton Abbey. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is like the description of Downton Abbey, if you go to IMDb, like the exact description. All right. So first of all, I've never seen Downton Abbey. So the movie made no sense to me. But even if it did make sense to me, it wouldn't matter because the entire time I was in the theater, a war raged in my body and my attention was turned inward. 
Again, I would feel parts of my body, including my legs, knees, and side of my head liquefy and then pour down my body. And each time this would happen, I'd get this huge sense of relief. And then I'd be able to yawn. And yawning seemed to break up more of these structures in my body. Another odd thing happens around this time. My far sight got worse, but my near sight got better. And I just, I think this should be the new, there's a lot of focus nowadays on meditation and kind of relieving stress and following your breath. And I think this should be the new stress relief tactic is liquefying parts of your organs. Yes. Because that seems to work for you. Uh, when you, As soon as you felt them dripping down your insides, you felt way better. So uh-huh. I think we need to, we need to franchise this idea. <laughs> it doesn't sound very nice, but the feeling was what a relief. I started to notice that there's not just one kind of yawn, but different yawns with different flavors. Some of yeah. them you feel more in your head. Some you feel more in your neck. Some you feel more in your abdominal area or chest. And again, I was getting the feeling that yawning is indeed an overlooked part of the immune system. Its exact function, I wouldn't pretend to know, but my intuition was that it can function in breaking up biofilms in the mucosal system. What exactly are biofilms? According to nature, quote, biofilms are communities of microorganisms that attach to each other and to surfaces, for example, by bacterial adherence. Biofilms consist of both the cells and the extracellular matrix produced by the cells. I would later learn in a study that artificial urine mixed with just a little bit of cranberry significantly decreased biofilm formation and adherence capabilities of candida albicans. Weirdly enough, in the same study, it was found that heavier amounts of cranberry actually had the opposite effect. And so I'd figure I'd mix a little cranberry with, with my water. And oh, I you didn't go ex- with the artificial urine? Yeah. <laughs> no, I couldn't, couldn't find any artificial urine. Mm. But I, so what I did was I just, I mixed a little cranberry with the water I was drinking and I cannot express just what an essential part of my recovery this was. I could finally drink water without becoming more dehydrated. I even learned that by gargling with cranberry water, I was able to pull out all kinds of nasty stuff off my tongue and in my throat, which you can see on our Patreon page. Yeah, that's one of the yeah. benefits. The perks. <laughs> Just in the pocket of big uh, cranberry. What do you what do you want? <laughs> yes, yeah. I'm in. I'm, I'm in the big are. pocket of big buckwheat, big cranberry, big. <laughs> I mean, all kinds of stuff. In fact, since gargling and swishing of highly diluted cranberry water, I have not had sore and bleeding gums or sensitive teeth, a problem I've had for a very long time. Also, after gargling cranberry water and using baking soda peroxide toothpaste, it would turn my tongue black. And I took this as a sign it was killing whatever this in was. In general, in general, it's a good sign. When parts of your body turn black. Yes. That's how you know. Again, I, I look yeah. at, I'm the, I'm the type of person that sees my tongue turn black and I go, what a relief. So <laughs> after staying with my father for a few more days, I went back to stay with my mom again. Suffice to say, a great number of many more weird things would happen to me, but nothing more weird than anything I've already mentioned. So I'm not going to waste your time for any of the details, because in that case, this podcast series would go on another year. The only things I'll mention. So like no like sensation of a fungus telling you to shove a piece of paper up your ass because you're going to go to a psych ward and then you're going to pull it out. It's going to give you instructions that you have the secret to the longevity of the human race, but you got to marry someone. She's going to be the only person who you trust and who understands your situation. You're going to get married. You're going to do unspeakable things to her, but you're going to save the entire human race. So that's acceptable because utilitarianism is true. So nothing like that. Yes, Dylan. What I'm saying is nothing quite tops that (laughs) from here forward. Just want to confirm. So, So what's the point? But I will mention a few things. I started to have more bizarre motor control issues. Sometimes while walking, it would feel like I was shrinking in size. 
And sometimes while sitting, it would feel as though I was shaking or being pulled to the earth. I would also sometimes feel as though something would be jerking me forward at certain moments. I mean, one thing I will say, though, when you're sitting, when that feeling when you're being pulled into the earth, I think they call that gravity. Let's put it this way. A much stronger force than gravity oh, pulling me to the earth. OK, OK. I got confused. Only for gravity exists. Or like Get Out, the movie Get Out. Oh, like Get Out. Yeah. OK. I like that. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I would feel like I was being pushed to the ground. I find that my food sensitivities indeed appear to be gone with the possible exception of wheat. And speaking from right now, even my wheat sensitivity seems to be gone because I did eat a little wheat the other day and had no reaction to it. Yeah, just raw wheat. He just was prancing in a wheat field. Yeah, and was raw just wheat. Eating it. <laughs> just like the apostles. Raw wheat with ergot. I was having weird moments where it would feel like I'd have low blood sugar and then hypertension. And the transition would abruptly go from one to the other back and forth. I'd feel cold and lethargic and my heart rate would go down. Then I'd feel warm. The lights would become brighter and my heart rate would go up. And I'm sure going back and forth between these two states was not healthy. Nice. I, st I also started to develop into a tree-hugging hippie. Nice. Now, I've always cared about the environment in an intellectual way. But for the first time in my life, it struck me at my core. And after leaving my mom's house and living by myself again, I would go up to Mount Charleston every day and hike in the woods every day. Just don't inhale the the, the bushes that we got from the burrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously. Do you wear the gas mask while you're up there? A full hazmat suit. What do you mean? Yeah, you know, maybe it was just the evil fungus trying to get me back to Mount Charleston to breathe in more spores. But anyway, I would go up to Mount Charleston every day, and I felt this intense love for nature, a deep respect for its fragile ecosystems, and a sense of urgency that humanity must change its ways before irreversible environmental catastrophe kills us all. All right. All right. That's not what this podcast is about. Let's all move right, on. SMS, I know. I know. It's just, I'm sorry. <sighs> I'm sorry. I was acting like a liberal accepting my Academy Award. Sorry about that. My intensely dry mucous membranes would be lubricated by the climate at Mount Charleston. And I credit these hikes as an essential part of the healing process. There was one particular moment at Mount Charleston where I was hiking deeper into the woods when it was getting dark. By the time I realized just how dark it was and wanted to turn back, only hundreds of feet away was a buck grazing in the field. I froze and it came galloping towards my direction. Jesus. I didn't run, but decided just to turn and slowly walk away. Luckily, it seemed to lose interest in me and I made it out safe. But I've never felt seriously threatened by an animal before. And this experience got me in touch with nature even more and made me respect in a visceral way just how powerless and frail we are without our technological comforts. And then I decide to do something I've always avoided and see a psychiatrist. I tell him that I cannot sh help shake the belief that I have a fungal infection. And because my stepfather was undergoing chemotherapy at the time, I cannot help but stress over the idea that I might have infected him. I keep having visions of the yellow blob in the trash can in the garage. I mean, can it release spores in the air? I don't know. After all, I remember seeing some black mold substance coming from it. I tell the psychiatrist that I know all about delusional parasitosis. And I know that he knows that this sounds like it. <laughs> I tell him, even though I experience psychosis and feel like I've nearly lost my mind for good, and though I admit I'm clearly not any position to objectively diagnose myself, I simply do not believe I'm delusional insofar as being infected goes. Of course, a delusional person would say that, and he, and he diagnoses me as having a delusional disorder, yeah, kinda, at least insofar you. as fungal infection goes. He also diagnoses me with obsessive compulsive disorder. Big surprise. Yeah, I prefer a shrug, but okay. Yeah, it's, he does sound like a shrugging psychiatrist. He, he kind of was a shrugging psychiatrist, actually. In fact, I scored off the charts high on the OCD questionnaire. For the bipolar disorder questionnaire, I scored extremely low. Well, I'm good for you. <laughs> good for me. 
I'm given a prescription for three psychiatric medications, and I do what nobody should do, but did it anyway. I did not take them. Oh. In fact, I still have them sitting in my house untouched. I do keep them handy, you know, just in case I get a message from fungi again or something. And that's how they but work. It's though. just like having a headache. Oh, I'm just psychosis. I'm just, you know, psychotic. I could just start yes. taking these. That is exactly what my exactly. psychiatrists have always like told Advil. me. Yeah, like Advil. Continuing the theme of what Dylan was alluding to. Seriously, strictly speaking, what I did was incredibly risky, and I don't want to downplay the importance of people with mental disorders that they need to take their meds. So anyone out there on psychiatric meds, do not do what I did. If it happens to work out for me, I'm a major exception to the rule, and it's due to luck, not a rationally informed choice. Yeah, be like me. I take my psych meds every day, and I am totally normal. All right, so it wasn't so much that I didn't want professional psychiatric help. I just wanted to avoid psychiatric drugs if I could. I had great success with the cognitive behavioral routine of Jeffrey Schwartz in keeping my OCD in check, and I was hoping I could find someone that specialized in cognitive behavioral therapy that could help me. I came across a mental health professional who does just that, and even though it ended up that I wasn't able to officially receive care from him because of insurance issues, he talked to me as long as I needed on the phone multiple times and truly helped me. He basically gave me free therapy, and while it was only a few phone calls, I will be forever grateful for his help. Uh, just by discussing my issues as honestly as possible to a total stranger and one who happened to be unusually understanding and kind made a huge difference, and I'll forever remember this person for the kindness he showed. Despite overall feeling far better than before, my nails were getting yellow and fungal growths were appearing on my hands. I'm spitting up nasty things in the toilet, and my tongue thrush is back. I want to see an infectious disease specialist, but like always, I've got to go through my primary care first before being referred. At this time, I'm assuming my problem is Candida albicans infection, so I ask for an antibodies test. On October 1st, 2019, the test is performed, but comes out negative. I'm told simply to relax, that the infectious disease people probably aren't going to find anything further. Serious fungal infections and immunocompetent people just aren't really a thing. And to watch my electrolytes. So I do that. But then one day in October, I just can't take it. I simply know I have some kind of fungal infection. I get on the phone with my primary care people and I literally start crying and begging them to get me to an infectious disease specialist. It works. I get an appointment, but I have to wait until Halloween and it's on Halloween day. How fitting. And all you had to do is break down and cry on the phone. Not a, not bad at all. Yeah, I mean, yeah that's it's just all like any retail job. That's all a customer needs to do and you'll give them whatever they want. In the meantime, I develop an obsession with the microbiome, which we'll be covering in the next bonus episode. I'm reading peer-reviewed scientific papers, and the stuff I'm reading is more bizarre and alien than any science fiction novel I've ever come across. I become convinced that the next giant paradigm shift in human consciousness will be the microbiome, and it will be on an order of magnitude comparable to the intellectual revolutions of Copernicus, Newton, Darwin, and Einstein, that we will soon see ourselves less and less as individuals and more as walking colonies. After all, we're only 10% human. The other 90% of your body is made up of bacteria protozoa, viruses, and fungi. Ominously, the fungal part of the microbiome, called the mycobiome, is the most mysterious and least understood. And I wonder what bizarre facts might be discovered about it in the future. I'm really into this pathological <laughs> metaphysics. Yeah, we're only 10% human. That is a beautiful <laughs> seed for a lot of useless conversation. Yeah. Well, what do you mean I'm only 10% human? Like, all these words I'm saying are only 10% human? Yeah, every 10th word. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in, part, in parts of what your case, mean? that might have been true. <laughs> <laughs> Let's put it this way. The vast majority of the cells 
on your body are not human cells. I put my newfound knowledge of the microbiome to the test and resolved to build up my gut flora by simply not paying my bills and instead using all my money to buy up the widest possible variety of the healthiest possible foods on the planet, along with swallowing copious amounts of every probiotic bacteria and yeast known to mankind, including putting some up my nose. In this case, it would be lactobacillus sake, I think that's the way you pronounce it, which was a miracle cure for my sinus issues. I swear to God. You know, that's interesting because I, I think you can just call up your electric company and if you just give this exact thing, they usually do postpone your bill. It, it works. You just have to let them know. It depends on the, I said, the company. I said, I'm, so, yeah. I'm very sorry. I'm, I'm buying yeah. probiotics right now. I cannot pay my power bill. That's what I told them. No, the exact thing you just said, the entire thing. Yeah, you got to say the whole thing or it doesn't count. My strategy was to simply have so many different competing factions of bacteria to the point where balance is achieved because no one species can establish a monopoly. Shortly later, I also develop a dilettante interest in mycology, find Paul Stamets fascinating, and buy some of his medicinal mushroom concoctions. Of course, using huge amounts of mushrooms and probiotics willy-nilly can be a bit risky, so it's smart to be cautious. But at this point, I don't give a fuck about caution. And I'm just going to keep putting these things into me because I'm feeling so fucking goddamn good. Yeah. Yeah. Until the bills arrive. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> On Halloween, nah, fuck, man. I finally see the infectious What you should disease. do is when you get the bill in the mail, just smear your thrush stained tongue all over it. Yeah. And <laughs> Yeah, or to get that yellow goo and <laughs> yeah. from the garage, put it on there, just mail it back to him. This is money now. This is how I pay. On Halloween, I finally see the infectious disease specialist, or more specifically and disappointingly, his PA. I tell him my batshit crazy story, and he says he agrees it looks like I've got a fungal problem. I'm relieved. Finally, a doctor that understands something about this stuff. I ask him if we can run blood tests on my immune system and for fungal disease. I wait for the results, but don't hear anything back from them. It's not until my follow-up appointment a month later that I learn anything. They forgot to call me. Gee, thanks. Well, they're they're oh. fungus experts. They're not, you know, phone experts. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Exactly. And they're too busy shrugging. So. <laughs> no, these these are the only doctors in the scenario who don't shrug. That don't shrug. They're yeah, not right. shrugging That's so true. hard they can't answer the phone. So far, there's the only doctors that haven't just completely shrugged. I am told... I have come up positive for fungal infection. I look at the sheet of paper and it reads histoplasmosis. I'm positive for two forms of it, the mycelial phase and the yeast phase. It typically thrives in soil with bat or bird droppings and its spores can be breathed in, which causes the infection. Mild forms are actually pretty common in states in the Midwest, but are almost unheard of where I live. According to WebMD, histoplasmosis is, quote, a disease caused by the fungus Histoplasma capsulatum. Most people with histoplasmosis have no symptoms. However, histoplasma can cause acute or chronic lung disease and progressive disseminated histoplasmosis affecting a number of organs. It can be fatal if untreated. Oh, good. Yeah. The antibodies for histoplasmosis were in the high range and indicative of ongoing infection. As well, my mucosal immune system was overactive with elevated IgA antibodies. The doctor prescribes me fluconazole and clotrimazole. I didn't notice any effect from the fluconazole except when I ate reishi mushrooms. For whatever reason, eating reishi and taking fluconazole would make me feel really irritable and give me brain fog. Mm. The clotrimazole at first dissolved tongue thrush before my eyes. Sadly, though, it soon seemed to become worthless and do nothing. I research more about histoplasmosis and find that besides the difficulty breathing, 
All the other crazy stuff doesn't fit typical diagnosis. It's possible, though very rare, that disseminated versions of the fungus can reach the central nervous system and cause psychotic symptoms and motor issues. It turns out that Bob Dylan's heart was once attacked by histo by histoplasma, if you can believe oh, that. Oh, that explains it. It explains everything. I figure it simply must be the case that it got to my brain. Upon further research, I find it's not fluconazole that's the go-to drug of choice to fight histoplasmosis, but another antifungal called itraconazole. But I tell myself, don't be a hypochondriac. Stop reading this stuff. Trust your doctor. He knows better than you. But in this case, I did know better than him. Damn it. Lo <laughs> Long story short... I end up in the ER again for very specific legal reasons, which I can neither confirm nor deny. Ooh. Ooh. Mystery. And you will never know this. Long story short, again, I fortuitously ended up in the care of an infectious disease MD that is a complete badass. Unlike the other people I was seeing, she was very thorough and wanted to truly get to the bottom of my issues. She ordered me more blood tests for finding other possible diseases a sputum sample, an MRI, a lumbar puncture, and CT scans of my chest. Bizarrely enough, I somewhat enjoyed this ER experience. I actually found the MRI relaxing and the spinal tap to be no big deal. I even kind of enjoy getting my blood taken. So compared to the shit I've been through, there's very few things I can now imagine as being worse. So far, every test result, other than the antibodies blood tests, either have come out as negative or unremarkable. Be that as it may, the antibody formations are telling me I have an ongoing histoplasmosis infection and my mucosal immune system is working overtime. The nurse comes into the room and says she's got an antifungal drug for me to take at the order of my doctor. I say to her, let me guess, itraconazole? She was stunned that I was right. How did I know? Because I did my own research, of course. Exactly. Uh, That's what we keep uh, trying there. to say. This is the lesson. Yeah. Yes. That's the lesson of this entire podcast. <laughs> no, actually, that's not the lesson. This is the, the opposite. Since taking this drug, I find I can just breathe better than I ever could in my life. Deep breathing exercises and massaging my ribcage help my breathing enormously. Controlling stress helped my breathing even more. Lactobacillus sake took my breathing to new heights of glory. And now <laughs> the final piece of the puzzle was revealed, itraconazole. I can now breathe normally. Even now, when I take a full breath, I am in just disbelief. I cannot remember the last time I could do that. Maybe when I was seven years old. The question remains, though, and this is the thing that is truly puzzling my doctor. How did I come to be infected in the first place, given that this simply doesn't happen to people in my neck of the woods? The set of the burrow struck me as almost certainly the cause, but then another far more plausible possibility emerged. For a while, my mother and stepfather lived in Indiana, where rates of histoplasmosis are high. Is it possible that I got it while visiting them at some point? Mm -hmm. It's funny. My uh, my fiance lived in Indiana for a while. And when I told her this, she was like, oh, yeah, that's just known. Yeah. Uh, like, so, I mean, that's just it's like histoplasmosis central. Yep. I think it's something like 50 percent of all people that were born there have it. All right. But may so maybe Indiana was where I caught it from or fucking Indiana. Wait, wait, or <laughs> Mike Pence. Yep. And histoplasmosis. But there's one more option, perhaps, Dylan. So hold on. Let's not blame Mike Pence just yet. Okay. <laughs> I, I forgot to him. mention this in the first episode. Maybe the good fungus has the answer. I asked it, how long has this been going on? And it told me for a very, very long time. And that is the end of the saga of madness, mayhem, and the macabre. 
involving demonic fungus trying to take over my soul. So, Brent, Dylan, what did you learn? Um, I learned I'm I think you did way too much driving. That was the <laughs> yeah. first thing that stuck out to me. Okay. That should not have happened, but I learned I didn't learn anything. I, I think my favorites were the the pulling and the pushing, the the pill being thrown out of you, uh, half chewed by the fungus, and then also the pulling of the medicine that it wanted back in. So it's beautiful. Yeah, there's just like an arm. <laughs> the fungus has just got an arm, and it's either throwing stuff yeah. or pulling it in. We got to draw this. Yeah. I wanted this painting. I think I learned two things. I mean, I learned a lot of things in this series. Uh, the two main things I learned, though, was first, there's far too much shrugging in the medical industry. Yes. Uh, that's the first thing I learned. And the second thing I learned is that sometimes you have to be unreasonable when it comes to your medical, your physical and mental health. Yeah. Like I, I take that for me as we, when, when you shouldn't always do your own research, you know, it's still true that your Google search is not comparable yep. to a doctor's <laughs> medical degree. But sometimes in order to be an effective advocate for yourself or for someone who's close to you going through the medical system, sometimes you just have to be unreasonable and just demand, you know, what you think is going on and kind of being in touch with your body. You know, worst case scenario, you get an extra test that you don't need. But sometimes it's just what you got to do. Like, even though, I mean, I think there were multiple points in this story where Forrest you know, very clearly admitted. And it's very clearly the case that the rational thing is it's just a delusion or it's just OCD or it's just whatever. And it wasn't. And it's a hard thing that you have to do because there's no simple answer. There's no algorithm for how to tell. But sometimes you just have to be unreasonable. But well, that is what's very, very scary is that First off, because I have struggled with health anxiety for so long and been deluded so many times about um, believing I had certain illnesses, it's very hard <laughs> because I'm thinking that I've just reached this point where I've completely lost my mind with this health anxiety thing. And now I'm just having straight up hallucinations and delusions and that, yeah, it was very, it's, it's what do you do, right? Because how yeah. can you, you can't tell if you're crazy or not. Right. So that's that's the problem. I have no yeah. way to survey yeah. myself from the outside. So on the one hand, I'm just dealing with extreme health anxiety my whole life and coming up with wrong diagnosis of myself all the time. On the other hand, it's, you know, I'm having these bizarre symptoms that are clearly not normal. <laughs> but on top of it, though, I'm also sometimes hallucinating certain symptoms. Like when I, I told this part about uh, my arm, it seemed like it wasn't healing and it was infected. And then when the psychiatrist told me, no, it's not infected. What are you talking about? I look at it and it was like this, it was creepy because it was, I saw my arm just healed like normally. And just moments before it seemed like it was infected. So I'm just realizing I'm not the best judge of myself. I mean, given, you know, at that time though, I had those severe sodium yeah. levels. So I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm assuming my brain was just not, <laughs> wasn't just not working properly. But another thing too is, you know, like someone who's really suffering schizophrenia, it do, it's not really a thing where they question it. Mm. You know what yeah. I mean? True, true. It's, and that's the thing, whereas the fact that I'm even questioning it shows that I'm not schizophrenic, I yeah. guess. And it's, it's interesting because uh, some work has been done on obsessive compulsive tendencies actually being protective 
against schizophrenic oh, interesting. tendencies. You know, it's possible that I kind of just lucked out <laughs> that maybe if it weren't for those things of constantly checking and being obsessed with certainty and evidence, if if you didn't have those things, that maybe you'd be able to be sucked in even more. Because yeah. like, what would happen if I obeyed the fungus, you know? <laughs> we don't want to know. No. We never want to know what happens I, exactly, when you obey you know? the fungus. Your asshole would be filled with buckwheat, honey. <laughs> so many letters in there. Jeez. But I mean, if I learned, if I learned something, I, I learned something like something about paranormal experiences, I'd say, where I understand how intense an experience like this is and how it does feel like almost something supernatural. So I can understand, I guess, um, why people really believe they're being like being abducted by aliens or being possessed by demons. Like I get it. <laughs> yeah. And what, like one question I still ask myself is, you know, how, how did I know that I was infected, um, had a fungal infection? And I mean, the most plausible explanation I can come up with, right? Like the most reasonable thing to say where we take out Occam's safety scissors is I was thinking at the time that maybe Candida was my problem. So I'm already being primed for fungal infection. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah. I'm already being primed that I have a fungal problem. And then I have that weird issue where I'm high for the next three days. And it could be that something was dying off of my body and creating some kind of chemical reaction that was creating this feeling of being high and everything. And then uh, maybe from that, I just kind of lost my mind. My health anxiety and OCD stuff came to a head and I just you know, went through like a psychotic episode. Yeah. And then I just happened to kind of hit up on the right answer. Do you see what I'm saying? That could yeah. be, that could just be what happened. But after having an experience like that, I, there is like a part of me way back in the kind of more irrational section that like, do I believe that good and evil fungus really fought for control of my soul? No, I don't believe that. Oh, but <laughs> is it possible that, you know, I did have some kind of weird thing going on with my gut and my gut sort of communicating with my brain in some weird way. Maybe, you know. And from reading about the microbiome and the gut-brain axis and how the microbiota do actually communicate with you, I guess the most, the least crazy, crazy explanation would be that perhaps I got a, quote, message, not like from an intelligence, but something that kind of gave me an idea that I needed to take care of a few things. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Yeah. George I mean, that, W. Bush always said, look, listen to your gut. Yeah. <laughs> listen <laughs> yes, to your exactly. gut. Just saying. Just and saying. I mean, you know, it makes sense. I mean, ultimately our, our nervous system is made up of dumb cells and, and we get messages, so to speak, uh, from, you know, the rest of our nervous system via these dumb micro mechanisms. So it makes sense that if there was some kind of microbiome distress going on, that it could just as equally send a message so to speak, to your brain. Yeah, exactly. So it's, and it's also weird that my mucosal system started having this weird immune reaction. And, and it did show up in my blood that my immune, my mucosal immune system was acting over time. Mm -hmm. And that seemed to be yeah. triggered around that same time too. Interesting. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's a weird story. You know, it's been hard to, it's been hard to come to terms with it and sort of sort it all out. Well, actually Dylan made a good point. What was the last episode that, the truest horror was the medical bureaucracy, I think, at the very oh, end. Yeah. yeah. But you didn't Jeez. really go into, but yeah, your medication. So I'm prescribed itraconazole at the hospital, and I take that for two days there. And when I go, when I get out, I go to the pharmacy to pick up the pills. 
And the pharmacist tells me, oh, I'm very sorry, your insurance doesn't cover this drug. It has to be pre-authorized by your um, primary care people, or we just can't give it to you. You'd have to buy it out of pocket. And I asked her, how much is it out of pocket? And she said, $975. Ooh, <laughs> on sale. So I call the primary care people and I tell the receptionist, hey, I need to talk to a PA or the doctor right away because... I was at the hospital. I have a bizarre fungal infection. They need to um, give me these drugs, but I can't get them without you guys pre-authorizing it or whatever the word was used with my insurance company. Can you please you know, call them, let them know that it's been approved so I can pick up these drugs? And it was like, laugh out loud. Well, they, they didn't laugh out loud, but it was just like, lol, like call back or we'll get back to you three to four business Jeez. days or something. It's like, no, like I'm like, no, it's uh, these are antifungal drugs. And if you skip doses, it creates fungal resistance to the drug because in the meantime, the stronger fungus is multiplying. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, so these, these fungi are literally evolving for every minute I waste basically. And, uh, it was just, Oh, well, we'll have to get back to you in two to three business days, sir. So I, I called then the insurance company. Then the insurance company had me on a three-way phone call with them again. And I was telling him, please urgently send an email, whatever you need to do to the people upstairs in the same facility or go there yourself and say, you know, one of their patients has a bizarre fungal infection. He needs to get it figured out. He needs to get his medication. Look, just have him look in the computer for two seconds to see I was in the hospital. I have histoplasmosis and to approve it. And then it was like, then the insurance lady is like, well, even if they do approve it, though, it'll still be, you know, a few more business days until, mm -hmm. until uh, we can do anything. So long story short, I mean, again, it's another thing I'm very privileged and lucky because I had some family help me buy the drugs. Luckily, they got a big discount because it was using, I think it's mm -hmm. called Good RX or something mm -hmm. at Walmart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a, it was it was a huge it was a huge discount. But I mean, again, if I didn't if I wasn't privileged and had family that was well off and with some money, like you know, what would I do? The real hero here then is Walmart. Mm. <laughs> That's what we Walmart and their deep discounts. Man, yeah. I'm really glad society works this way. <laughs> <laughs> Let's all move to Canada. They have the, they have the syrup. So <laughs> you're halfway there. <laughs> Let's just not go to Indiana. One thing that did come from this whole experience though was that I really do feel more healthy than I've ever been. And knock on wood, but my mental issues seem to have like cleared up. Again, it's one of those things that's tricky because it's kind of like, you know, dealing like alcoholism. The moment you say, I'm not an alcoholic, yeah. that's when you're most likely to go back. Same thing. I don't want to say, oh, I'm not OCD. And then I'm once again, like collecting bottles, like in my bathtub or something. You know what I mean? Like just <laughs> at some point you just want to, you don't want to say that because it's not good, but I haven't had, let's put it this way. Let's put it this way. I haven't had OCD type symptoms in, a, in the last few weeks, at least that's incredible at all. It's incredible. And, yeah, um, is. Health anxiety is now gone. And like I said, almost the opposite, almost like a perverse fascination with me. Now, that's also stuff. not good. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not. Let's put it this way. Let's, let's put it this way. I don't, I don't want to get sick. I don't want to die. I just don't fear sickness and death. I don't want to go over to your house and you're taking your own blood to get it sampled at the doctor's. That's all I'm saying. Forrest, I don't think you need an MRI in your living room. I don't think that's. <laughs> A good use of space. <laughs> it, well, it's funny because the guys, I, I was, I was woken up in the early morning and I was so tired because I barely slept at the hospital because there's just this huge fluorescent light in my face the whole night. And they, they wheel me to the fMRI machine and they're very, you know, because they've dealt with so many people that have freaked out about it. They tell me what's going to happen and try to calm me down and everything. 
And I get in there that I just listen to classical music and I'm, I'm just relaxed and just laying there. Yeah, and I'm never, fine. I've had an MRI. It's very, it's very relaxing to me. I don't get it. Why yeah. I thought it was relaxing. Yeah. And then when I got my uh, spinal tap, when I got there, they were extremely solemn and they're like, okay, this is a spinal tap. Do you know what's going to happen? I'm like, yes, they're going to put a needle into my spine and pull out cere- cerebral fluid for analysis. And they're like, wow. Like, again, it was like, wow, you know, what's going on. And, um, it just went by really quick. One of the texts there told me that like never does it happen that quick. And most people it's way harder and uh, they're far more freaked out when I, when they're undergoing it. But yeah, it didn't really bother me. So yeah, I mean, okay, let me clarify Dylan. Cause I, I don't want to freak Dylan out too much. Do I like love getting <laughs> medical tests done? No, they just don't freak me out. But I do, but I do admit there's this a weird like kick I get out of getting my blood drawn yeah. now for some and you learn reason. stuff is, it's fun to why. learn stuff about yourself yes yeah. but at, the good thing is yeah health anxiety is pretty much completely gone uh and then i can breathe really well last few nights i've had the best like i can go to sleep a lot quicker now i think i can maybe be a normal human being and go to sleep at a normal at a normal time maybe at this point so well, you're uh, gonna we'll have to leave out. the podcast then <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's such a fucking bizarre story. Um, I'm honestly doing this podcast was was therapeutic in itself and healing to get out all this crazy stuff and have it laughed at. Yeah, it was good to kind of put it out there. You're able to s- much more clearly see just how insane it was. <laughs> you know. I mean, you'll never get a job um, again. You know, when people well, I'll never get a job again. But but so what? You know. Yeah, fuck it. But uh, <laughs> who cares? Sign up for our Patreon so that Forrest isn't permanently financially (laughs) handicapped. Yeah, uh, for revealing all of this delicate information. Patreon.com slash none dare call it ordinary. I hope that none of this information gets to my insurance company either. (laughs) But yeah, there it was. So thanks, guys, for letting me tell the whole story on here. And it really did. I think it did help a lot. It was kind of the final cherry on top of the healing process to get this madness yep. out in the public in the open i think that's another thing is that i've always i've always kept my problems to myself for the most part like i would tell close friends sometimes about my issues but i felt like i just wanted to just say it all make it public get it out of my head so that concludes part three of at the mushrooms of madness and we are done. <laughs> for listening to this episode of None Dare Call It Ordinary. If you would also like to hear our weekly bonus episodes, just become a $5 a month patron over at patreon.com slash none dare call it ordinary. That is also where you'll find any blog posts, pictures, and news updates to go along with our regular series. And you don't even have to be a patron to get access to all that fun stuff. You can also reach us by email at none dare call it ordinary at gmail.com. Lastly, we ask for you to please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever your podcasts are served.